Hi there, and welcome to the Skylight Books author reading series. If you'd like to learn more about us and our many upcoming author events, please visit skylightbooks.com, where you can browse our inventory, buy books, and join our Friends with Benefits Club. You can also follow us on Twitter, Tumblr, and Facebook. To speak to a real live bookseller like me, please call 323-660-1175. Thanks for your support, and enjoy. Read and Riot, a Pussy Riot Guide to Activism is a timely guide to radical protest as we endure this current administration. Nadia Talakanikova is a conceptual artist and political activist from Russia and the founder of the art collective Pussy Riot. In 2012, she was sentenced to two years imprisonment following an anti-Putin performance in Moscow's Cathedral of Christ the Savior. Shortly after her release in 2013, Nadia created Media Zona, an independent Russian news service, and the Zona Prava, a, pr a prisoner's rights non-governmental organization. She has spoken before the US Congress, the British Parliament, and the European Parliament, and is a Lenin Ono Grant for Peace recipient and a co-recipient of the Hannah Arendt Prize for Political Thought. Shepard Ferry was born in Charleston, South Carolina. He received his BFA in illustration from RISD, in 1989, he created the Andre the Giant Has a Posse sticker that transformed into the Obey Giant art campaign with imagery that has changed the way people see art and the urban landscape. After 29 years, his work has evolved into an acclaimed body of art, which includes the 2008 Hope portrait of Barack Obama. Just recently, Ferry again teamed up with Amplifier to launch We the Future, a campaign featuring young leaders from social change movements, working to address important issues and get art and supporting education tools into more than 20,000 classrooms. We're delighted to have both Nadia Talakanikova and Shepard Ferry with us this evening. Please help me join and welcome them. Thanks for coming, everyone. Um, Hello. I, I, I feel very honored to interview Nadia because um, she, uh, she really practices what she preaches. It's, um, it's a lot more rare than it should be. Um, you know, I, I followed what was happening when she and, and Masha were incarcerated, and um, we spoke briefly on a panel afterward. Um, here in LA at Max Senate. And, uh, you know, I, it, the, what she'd endured was, um, was very moving to me and her resilience and still, you know, uh, courage to push forward with her ideas. Um, but, you know, reading this book, uh, which I got it the day it came out. What was that, Wednesday? Last Wednesday? When did it come out? Um, I didn't remember. <laughs> well, I, I, you just mentioned. I mean, it happened all of a sudden. Yeah. Right? Um, so, so yeah, it's all I've been reading for the last few days. Um, but I, I, I really appreciate you you reading it because, like, I, you know, when I wrote it, I I thought that it that there is no chance that even one person on Earth will read it, and now Shepard Ferry is reading this <laughs> book. <laughs> well, um, yeah, a lot more people will be too. Uh, it, but. I, I think that it's um, it's something that pretty much everybody should read. I, I um, yeah, I think that there 
so many great ideas about art, music, activism, uh, you know, the, the, just the basic way to, to live your life meaningfully in, the, in this book without it uh, coming across as self-righteous or didactic, so, um, which I think can be very, very tough in, in this world. I, um, you know, I, th I think that uh, all, all of us have experienced somebody that loves to hear the sound of their own voice. I think you're, you're, you're far more generous than that, so that's a nice thing. It's a nice thing. Um, but anyway, I, you know, let's just dive into it. I, um, at the very beginning of the book, you, you talk about how you, at, at 14, were writing, wanted to write an article for the newspaper about pollution and climate change, and, um, you know, and you were told to do something else, um, come, back, come back later when you have something um, that's more traditional, I guess. But, um, you know, what brought you to that? What made you want to be a writer? What, um, you know, what kind of lit that fire in you? They actually told me that I should um, write uh, something, write an article about the zoo. Um, <laughs> and they told me that it's much more appropriate for a 13 or 14 years old girl to write about the zoo. And I, I did. I did. I, I love animals and I wrote about the zoo, but uh, I still wanted to write about um, environmental issues uh, because that's where the animals live, not mm -hmm. only in the zoo. <laughs> and um, I was growing up in a small provincial town. Uh, it's this one of the smallest and the most polluted and the northest, the coldest uh, cities on earth. And um, the bad news about uh, this town is that it's it's kind of it's kind of like Venus, um, you know, the, the planet. It's um, it has uh, acid rains and um, it's raining with uh, sulfuric acid over there. And uh, when the snow starts to fall down and uh, that you know the snow starts there at in the beginning of September, <laughs> and it just it, in a matter of half an hour it becomes gray and then in another half an hour it becomes black. So you know when I when I first time went to Moscow when I was a little kid, I, I was like, oh, the snow actually can be white. I didn't <laughs> know about it. <laughs> so, um, obviously when I was 14 years old, I, I decided to make my small investigation about what's going on. And um, I was lucky girl because my father was really politically involved and um, he treated me as an equal human being so he mm -hmm. helped me we went to the library we started to surf on the internet though at the time it was not that easy to get access to internet yes I am old <laughs> and um, what and then they, then they told me just uh, yeah write about the zoo and the reason is was it really in interesting um, you understand why. And that's the thing that they always say to us. You understand. And I'm like, no, I don't understand. I don't understand why. And I'm asking them why. You understand <laughs> because we are all um, really connected to these three factories that surround our city and we rely economically on these factories. And we cannot write anything bad about them. And uh, after that, I I didn't become a journalist because I, I understood that I will have a hard time being a journalist if I I, I just don't like censorship. I just don't don't really 
buy it. And uh, I decided to uh, study philosophy instead, to go deeper to the core of this issue, to, to understand why such a censorship can exist in my country yeah. and what could I do with it possibly. Well, I mean, you're, you're creating your own, your own forms of media now, um, which you know, I think are, are connecting with a lot of people. Um, I know it's more of a, you mentioned it's more of a, a, a difficult thing to achieve in, in Russia because there's not a large market for independent media, but we'll, we'll touch on that later. I, um, I kind of, I, I, I want to explore your development a little bit more. Um, you know, you, you mentioned in the book that you, that you discovered Riot Girl. Uh, punk rock, feminist punk rock, and uh, and that was a big influence. And then you and some of your some of your uh, fellow students were, or you know, art collaborators were going to do a a, a, a a project on feminist punk rock in Russia, and you realized it didn't exist, so you so you had to create it, and that's how Pussy Riot started. I mean, so tell us a bit about that. Yeah, it started because of confusion, because we. Um actually uh, promised that we will give a lecture. And uh, you know, the problem was, uh, I'm, I'm, I'm really surprised with you being prepared because I'm never prepared. So I, I'm just trying to get something from my ass, like just in, like, for four hours before. And um, so like four hours before that lecture, we, we understood that there is no such thing as punk feminism though we promised to make a lecture like one month ago and technically we did have this time to realize that there is no fucking punk feminism and um, just change the topic. But since the topic was established already and uh, um, so we made it up, we made it up. We, we said mostly, we collected um, mostly Western uh, punk feminist works and plus just um, feminists who were not exactly punks like Linda Bangles, but we thought that her art form, art form advertisement is pretty punk mm -hmm. in the spirit. So we collected these works and uh, we had to present at least one Russian work. Uh, and we, like, don't get me wrong, we do have amazing feminist tradition and we do have amazing uh, punk tradition and even female punk tradition in Russia. But um, like people like Yanka Diagilova, who's really strong female punk singer and um, songwriter, she doesn't identify herself with feminism, so it would be wrong of, uh, for me to uh, attribute feminism to her if she doesn't want to define herself feminism, feminist. So we created uh, a song in two hours before the lecture and we had no idea how to make songs at the time because we were conceptual artists and uh, what conceptual art actually gave me uh, is understanding that you cannot care about craft at all because the, the concept is the only one thing that matters and then so you can, you can, you can just do something. Just do something. So we yeah. <laughs> we did something. We stole uh, riffs from uh, Oi Punk band. I think it was uh, Sham Sixty Nine, or maybe it and, was and Cockney Rejects. You, you you reference the kids are united in the book. Yeah, but you said if the kids are united, they will never be defeated, not not divided. Which did I actually I? think is you should you should have been writing their lyrics. It's better, <laughs> but but anyway. No, I do remember anyway. that it's divided. It's so wrong that I wrote defeated. No, no, oh. it's 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 actually better. Um, 
it's it's kind of like ridiculously reflexive if it's if they're united they'll never be divided like we but anyway anyway so I, yeah we, we created we can this, argue about that later um, it is impossible song that it's impossible to hear but I, I still think that it's our best song because after that we were making songs with I don't know with people who are making songs for um, you know Christina Aguilera and for uh, Pink but I, I, I still think that that first song was the best one and um, for a while I I didn't play it at our current concerts but just recently in Lugo in Galicia in Spain um, we decided to play the song for the very first time and the thing about playing this song like, we, we don't know how to play and I don't know how to play the guitar or something so we we're just pushing a um, button on a computer and the music starts and I'm screaming something on top of it and that that's how our concert looked like and <laughs> and it's fine when people are prepared for it like you know like here in Los Angeles possibly people can be prepared for something yeah. shitty like that but I just we somehow ended up being um, playing at this festival for um, it was like something like city day of Lugo which is amazing but pretty small uh, Spanish town and I, I don't think that people there really dig into punk tradition and so mm -hmm. like, there were a bunch of families like old ladies and uh, parents with their kids and me screaming um, this ridiculous song and uh, yeah but <laughs> no, little, little kids really liked it and I'm not sure about their parents <laughs> but I, I mean you know that's the 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 beauty of punk rock to me was that it, it didn't require virtuosity, it required ideas and passion. And that's, that's so liberating. And I know, I know you feel the same way. Um, when, when people start to become fearful of whether they've, uh, they've lived up to a standard or they, they've adhered to the orthodoxy, that's, that really kills creativity. And I, I mean, that's, that's a big principle in, in your book is, uh, you know, keeping your imagination alive, being being weird. Um, I mean, it, you know, and I think that you, I think you you're, you've latched on to uh, a sort of celebration of like the joy of just being whoever you feel like being. But there's, um, but I think there's a, a deeper importance to that, which you talk about the powers who have a, um, you know a lot of control and really benefit from defining what's considered normal behavior, and then people subconsciously want to adhere to that, you're, you know, you're encouraging people to, to break away from that, to broaden the definition of what, uh, of what's normal. Weird can be uh, not weird, but normal if you push, if everybody pushes out their, their, you know, their real selves. I mean, this is something that you're really pushing across, but I mean, explain to me, um, how you feel that that first of all that you you came to terms with a, a concept like that and then and then how you manage within your your art which you know music and 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 visual art um but uh, to mesh that with your activism which activism is frequently scrutinized very seriously people act like there's no room for fun but i think there should be there is nothing like that in russian activism nothing like that the Rita knows. I mean, um, no, we are Russian activists. We're living under really enormous pressure. Like, 
Uh, seriously, sometimes you, if you if you really start to allow yourself to fear, then your life will turn into just an endless horror movie. Because the next morning you may wake up and you will learn that the you know activist who you knew really good he he was killed in front of Kremlin. Another activist was poisoned, like Peter Verzilov, who was my husband at some point, and he's still my amazing comrade and friend. And uh, so we're approaching everything with uh, a lot of uh, satire, I would say, and self-irony. And uh, so I was just talking with my friend, Russian friend who lives here, and she agrees with me that actually like Americans here, they're just, for some reason, they over-dramatize things uh, politically. And uh, I'm like, you know, every time when people are in front of me, they're like shaking and they're, oh, we're so afraid of, we're so afraid of Trump. I'm like, yeah, seriously, do you want to find somebody from North, North Korea and tell them how are you afraid here in United States of Donald Trump? I mean, they're I'm not saying that you shouldn't pay attention on his bad political moves, because like, today their move uh, against transgender people is terrible. Like You should take it seriously, but not panicking about it, because there is um, any like troubles are reason for you to unite and to actually feel better in the end of the story because you have something to overcome. <laughs> this is pretty much how we approach it in, in Russia, but I, maybe maybe I, I, I respect I respect if you want to be anxious. <laughs> well, I mean, I, 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 th I think t humor is a really important tool for, for it's therapeutic. It's how it helps people cope and 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 also relate. You know to it better than you. So I'm not I'm not explaining it to you because <laughs> I know your works. <laughs> Well, you know, it, it's, um, yeah, I mean, I, I, one of the things I really liked about um, the book was your emphasis on sort of re reclaiming joy in, in, the, in the process of, of, activis of activism, art, and, and just sort of weaving into your life these, these practices that um, it's not seen as um, a sacrifice you have to make, it's just seen as how you how you live to make things better for yourself and others it's not um i mean the generosity the, the generosity is uh you know is i think very um something that if you read the book is very infectious the feeling that um you know this is this is something that is is inspiring and anybody could potentially find a way to integrate but i in the us i i definitely feel like when I'm trying to discuss politics with people or activism with people, or even, you know, I'm, I'm gonna vote, you guys are gonna vote, right? Uh, yeah, so, um, I mean, the, the, the idea that this is, this is extra work, that, you know, you had to get off Facebook for a minute and have to go actually step outside and, you know, put a absentee ballot in a mailbox or walk to a poll. Yeah, but uh, then you can write a Facebook post about that. <laughs> well, so that, you know, that's one of the and things. And it will get more likes. <laughs> <laughs> so um, get out and vote. <laughs> yeah. I, um, I'm, I mean, the, the, it's, it's. We should, we should uh, yeah, rename this vote booth for to self booth, right? 
The selfie, selfie booth. Yeah, there you go. I think you, yeah. Um, so, <laughs> but, um, I mean, to, to get back to Peter being, being poisoned and, you know, um, the, the Saudi dissident journalist, um, Jamal Khashoggi, was just dismembered. Um, it, it, it's, you know, there's a lot on the line for, and it, it, Trump's calling journalists the, uh, the, you know, the enemies of the people. Um, there's a lot on the line for anybody that's outspoken in this sort of climate, especially in places, uh, I mean, even now the U.S., but you, you know what the price can be in Russia. Um, I mean, what's your... What keeps you fearless? Oh, that's the thing. I'm not fearless. Um, Courageous, actually we have at two, least. No, we have two. <laughs> we have two theoretical approaches to, to it, at least two theoretical approaches to uh, the concept of fear inside of Pussy Riot. Because like, if you will ask Masha Alokhina, she'll tell you, I don't know what fear is. And she will be honest. Because I think like, her. Probably her DNA is missing something, so she doesn't know what, what fear is. And what I, I do, and um, I don't like to lie, though I would very much love to tell you all that I, I don't know what fear is. But I, I'm afraid of a lot of stuff and afraid of, afraid of stupid things like you know, like I'm, I'm afraid to forget the right word when I'm making a public talk, and mm, so far, you know so what? <laughs> uh, and uh, I remember in 2014 uh, when we were attacked, physically attacked a couple of times. Uh, it actually made me really scared because um, so I'm I'm a nerd who never actually interacted with the, even with other kids when I was young and so I, I I'm really um but the physical distance is precious to me. And when somebody comes to you and interfere your space and just throws something like acidic liquid into your eyes, it really it's really not that comfortable to me. And uh, so I remember in two thousand fourteen I was really traumatized because of that. So I I was go um in the subway, and uh, every time when somebody touches me, just you know, there's a lot of people in Moscow, and uh, they're all the time touch you with elbows and like, stuff like that, and um, and you're all the time thinking that maybe somebody's trying to beat you one more time, but then time passes by and you're normalizing th things, and uh, I prefer not to think that much about fear and to get rid of it as much as I can, but I. I'm not saying that at some point I will never, I will not be deadly scared. It is possible to to scare me, but I, I'm, I just prefer to manage my fear, I, I so I will be able to stay in Moscow because Moscow is the source of my ultimate inspiration, and yeah. I don't want to leave it. Well, the um, I guess it would have been better for me to ask. Despite the dangers, you've you've remained outspoken, which a lot of people would not do. They would. They would maybe um, think that it was more, it was safer to to censor themselves. And um, but you've continued to you've continued to be very outspoken. And not only um, when you're outside of Russia, but when you're inside Russia as well. And um, yeah, I, I guess uh, you 
you know, your, your, your convictions outweigh your, your fear of the potential consequences. I mean, is that, is that fair to say? <laughs> it is, I guess. Um, and that's a part of my identity to be a political activist. I guess if you're, if you're decided to become a political activist when you were, I don't know, like 10 years old, it will be really hard to get rid of it because you know it's like getting rid of your right arm or your leg. It is still possible to leave, but it's not life in its full sense. So right. if I have have chance to live full life, why well, why don't why don't I do it? Yeah, I I, I can appreciate that. Um, can you imagine your life without political art? Um, no, I can't. Uh, and when people say, what if things get a lot better? And it's like, if I just had to paint sunsets and flowers, <laughs> fuck, I don't know. Um, like what, um, <laughs> I just wonder all the time, like when, do you think something about the handmaid's tale can happen in America? Or what do you, when you think about the worst that can happen here, what, do you, what are you thinking about? I, I think, um, the handmaid's tale is, uh, very appropriate for right now because, you know, one of the one, one of the key features of that is the people's reluctance to believe how serious things had gotten until a critical tipping point had already passed and it was too late to reverse the uh, the move towards um, you know a conservative authoritarian system and. I, I, that's what I always thought was the genius of, of Orwell in 1984 is it's so terrifying to read about oppression like that and think about, you know, Room 101 and the torture um, and 2 plus 2 equals 5 and double think um, that you, uh, you would look at your existing system and say, what do I need to do what actions do I need to take to make sure things never get that way? And yet, <laughs> look where look where things are going. Um, do I you think, think Trump has any chances on the next elections? I'd li I'd like to say no. I mean, you know, I was actually uh, on a panel with with Masha the night before the last election, and um, I, I I said in two thousand and sixteen. Yeah, and I said um, yeah, we we. We're here with Masha in, in LA. It's really stupid that I, I didn't see you. Yeah, we, we met this um, news about Trump as president together with her. Wow. We were at some Mexican bar, and yeah, the Bruins <sighs> were thrilled about it. I, I um, <laughs> yeah, that's an understatement. I was about to have a nervous breakdown, but um, I um, I said I said. Uh, I felt myself like you know something like I like when I ended up in prison. So like for the first like for the first one day like yeah the first day you think like what the fuck just happened and then you just gather your 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 strength somehow and think about like what what can I do about this situation? <laughs> exactly, and yeah. I mean there's you know you can you can curl up and give up or or you can you can push forward. And I mean you know the, there's a lot in the book about how you dealt with being in prison that I think is, um, it's really powerful. But, uh, but, but, but first I have to just mention that, um, cause I actually want to touch on, uh, you know, the idea of feminism and, um, you know, I was, I was on this panel with, with Masha. There was a lot of 
talk about feminism, and I, I thought I was really funny and clever saying, well, hey, the patriarchy had a good run, but there's gonna be a big chip in its foundation tomorrow. Oh, shit. Um, but, you know, um, I, I, um, I think a, a lot of people still have misconceptions about, about feminism. I mean, my, I, I consider myself a feminist. I just think that, um, that people should not uh, have to worry about their, their gender impacting their treatment or, or equality at all. And, um, and if you stand up for that idea, whatever sex you are, you, you know, um, if you want women to be treated equally, um, then you're a feminist, right? I mean, I, I, uh, but, but you, I mean, tell us how you define feminism and also why you think maybe that um, there are so many negative reactions to that term. Um, mm -hmm. Yeah. So I define myself as a queer person. I, I'm one of those who think that uh, women don't have any special essence. And um, one of those who don't think that uh, having some certain genitalia uh, make you a woman. So, like for me, the question of sex is really disturbing because it uh, evolves. Like, yet you know, the the the, the, the um, notion of feminism itself make you think that there are just two genders or two sexes, which is like in, in my universe is far from being that. Mm -hmm. So for me, feminism is uh, something that describes um, a certain tradition in history that I really value and respect. And I think it was super impactful, but uh, personally, I at some point, uh, theoretically, I started to uh, talk more about gender equality than about feminism because like I I realized that I'm I'm falling into this trap like when I'm talking about feminism I'm I'm I'm, I'm talking about you know you know beings who have some sort of essence and what is the essence like feminine essence and like, mm, not not true um, but um, for the sake of simplicity, I do refer to myself as a feminist because I, I can agree with um, the movement and, and sure. But um, yes, I, I am for gender equality and uh, it means, it means that I don't care what gender you want to be and I, I will treat you equally, equally no matter. And uh, what gender equality is good for it is good for convincing uh, even those people who are, hate feminism for some reason, but um, you can find a key to them by saying, like, look, gender equality is good for everybody, it's beneficial for everybody, because, like, let's say in Russia, um, men have to go to army, and women do not have to go to army for some stupid reason, I don't really understand why. And um, I'm saying, like, yeah, I. If my government thinks that you should go to army, then I should I should go to army. But you know, as a matter of fact, I'm against, um, I'm against compulsory, um, militarization of society. Mm -hmm. So yeah, if you want to go to army, you sign a contract and you go to army. Vo or vo voluntary. Going. Voluntary. Yeah, yeah, exactly. See, like, I have a lot of fears of <laughs> forgetting the right word. Um, yeah, 
Something like that. You got it in the book. <laughs> voluntary, voluntary enlistment, yeah. Um, it's much easier to write because you just you use Google Translator and all sorts <laughs> of dictionaries. <laughs> um, her, her vocabulary in this book is better than most native English speakers, so, <laughs> yeah. Um, no. You're, you're, you're false modesty. Um, See, I gotta do some reading of my own here. I got this shit from Google, so. Hopefully, um, um, people will not get from this event that I'm against feminism. I'm not. I just think that queer theory is cooler. It's like you know, it, it, it just it just. But I mean, gender takes equality. Takes the best from feminism and then evolves it into yeah. something bigger and more inclusive. It's, you know, s semantics matter, and if um, you know, gender equality seems a little more. Um, palatable for people I you know I, I get it but you know uh, to me when you when people say black lives matter um, well what about what about blue lives what about these the implication with black lives matter which I think is is very accurate is that black lives have been treated as if they don't matter for so long you wouldn't need a movement called feminism if women if there weren't so much um, misogyny it, it, it's um, you know it's it's basically um, fulfilling a need that will hopefully go away once there's once there's equality. You could just um, you know right now I think the um, the discrimination is there's discrimination in so many categories. But of course, um, yeah, I, I think we'd have um, I think we'd have a, a Hillary Clinton in the White House if if sexism weren't still really really big issue. Um, uh, you know, I was a Bernie Sanders supporter, like, like you were, too. Yes. But, um, but regardless, um, you know, I think it was, a, it was a really big factor. So, you know, cool. I like gender equality. I'm going to start. I'm going to lift that. Um, but, you know, all right, so you... Yeah, look, look, look the, the, my problem sometimes with, uh, like, so even when you're talking about um, victims, of, victims of domestic violence, right? Um, in most of cases, we think, we imply that uh, women have to be victims of domestic violence. And, it, and by saying that, um, you implying that women are victims. It's just because semantics right. matters. And you know, sometimes I just want to be careful with that. Because, you know, I, I, I agree that for the sake of simplicity, like sometimes when you um, interact, like let's say, with Russian government, you. Uh, about creating a center for victims of domestic violence, you cannot really uh, explain them the whole fucking <laughs> dictionary. Why do you use queer and why do you use? So I can say, yeah, let's build feminist center. But uh, if you if you go deeper, then I I don't really I don't really like uh, when in, in the end of the story people start to think that women are victims. No, we are not. Right. Um, I I I mean I think that the um, some of what you talked about being in being in prison and the the hours you had to work, um, the quotas for sewing the the police uniforms, um, what people sixteen hour work days, right? When until you until you went on hung, hunger strike, and I will let you actually explain some of this yourself eventually. But um, you know the 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 strength of you and your you and your comrades. I mean, it's very very clear. I um. I can't imagine being in that situation, but um, I guess everyone adapts to what 
they have to adapt to to, to survive. But I, I do think that you should, you should uh, talk a little bit about how you approach that that situation. Um, you know, uh, uh, your mentally to survive, and then philosophically to try to reverse some of the some of the abuses that you saw. Um, I mean, I know you went on you went on hunger strike, but um, I mean, it, it you had. You had dual things at work. You wanted conditions to be better for everyone, but you also did, um, I, I, you know, I would think wouldn't want to be singled out for abuse. So, I mean, that's a, that's a real, that's a tough thing to, to reconcile, right? That you've got both of those things going on. I didn't want to be, what, what was the second thing? Um, you, I, I mean, I would assume, I'm not, I don't want to speak for you, but um, knowing that if you spoke out against um, the abuse, I, you, you mentioned that in the book that there were um, there were individual punishments and collective punishments for the group for dissenters and people who didn't meet the quotas. Mm -hmm. So, um, you know, just explain how you how you dealt with all of that. How did I end up in hunger strike? <laughs> right. Exactly. Yeah. Um, first of all, I didn't uh, I didn't believe that it might be that difficult to be in prison camp because I uh, when I was in pretrial detention it was not that easy but um, it's relatively okay for people who don't have really serious illnesses when you do have serious illness it's um, it's much more difficult because uh, that the way how uh, investigators and uh, judges approach you and they want to plead guilty uh, and in that case, they will give you medication that you need. And uh, that's that's the case, unfortunately. But I had just terrible headaches, so it wasn't, I mean, it was terrible, but it wasn't a life-threatening condition, so. Uh, but you're sitting on your jail bed and you're reading something. I was reading Bible because that was the only one book that uh, was available for me at the time. But um, I didn't complain a lot about it because I, I thought it's good for me to read Bible because uh, the, the opposite side accused me of uh, committing hooliganism incited by religious hatred. And I thought it would be really good for me to quote Bible for them. Because you know, they, <laughs> in, in most of cases, they don't really know the Bible. They never opened it. Like, you know, like Donald Trump, who's saying that is his favorite book, but he... I don't think he, he ever opened it, and so I felt good about it. And uh, so for the first uh, six months, uh, I thought maybe prison is not that bad, because definitely it's not, it's not easy to be uh, so far from your family, from your friends, but for me, as, a, as for bookworm, it was satisfying that I can spend 12 hours a day with the books. But then uh, they move you to a penal colony, which is, in effect, um, a labor camp. It didn't change a lot from the Soviet times, because the thing is that never had this mm, sincere wish to change the prison system. Um, they called our... Um, they called, called their state liberal for, for a while, but I don't really think that um, <clears throat> this liberalism went deeper, deep enough to change something in, uh, in prison system. So basically, um, labor 
in the minds of uh, our government somehow has to help you to um, get better. Um, hard labor will somehow help you to get better faster. So <laughs> to get better really fast, you have to work for 16 hours a day. That's what they think. As far as I know, they think the same thing here. Yeah, because I, I, I spoke with people who went through American prisons, and they really differ from state to state, so I kind of talk for right. every every prison here. But I, I heard some gloomy stories, and but yeah, talking about Russian prisons. Um, <clears throat> I witnessed a hell, and I... I couldn't believe my eyes because I, I was like, no, you, you, you must be joking because it, it cannot be reality. You cannot work for 16 hours a day. No, like maybe just two days a month or something. No, um, their prison officials make women prisoners to sign uh, petitions that they actually very much want to work 16 hours a day. <laughs> sure. Uh, like, uh, otherwise, they will not be able to call their relatives for for the next two months if they will. If if, if even one will refuse to write such an uh, petition. I don't like my relatives that much. <laughs> 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 then the next punishment will be uh, to decline your right to wash yourself. So, like you know, in in prison you can wash your head uh, once in a week, which is like, <laughs> just try it, try it one once, and uh, you you will understand what does it mean to, I don't know, to cook eggs on your uh, head. And you don't have really access to warm water. You, you, you they give you a, a little like I don't know five liters of water to wash your stuff once a week, and you you don't have you don't have access to hygiene. And uh, after two months, I found myself in, in penal colony. I found myself completely apathetic. I, I was broken seriously. So, like, if you if you ask me if I if I have if I'm able to fear, if I can be broken, yes, yes, indeed, I can. So, but um, <clears throat> and I was writing in this book about it. Um, I was lucky enough because I found um, something that changed my life in prison, I I was sitting with a magazine at some point, and it was a rare moment because you all the time have to run around, and even at the time when you're not at the factory, you have to still do some useless stuff. Like, like you know, just um, watch something. It's like an army. Like, you know, those old movies about armies, so that's what our life is on a daily basis when you're a prisoner. Uh, and so I found a moment to open this magazine and I found an article of Václav Havel, uh, The Power of the Powerless. And it really helps you to understand that you're not alone, that people went through the worst. And I think most of our problems come from um, egocentrism. And I think I was too, uh, too thinking too much about myself and about my miseries, and I was just, you know, pity of myself. And uh, it was it, it was wrong in its core, not because it was unethical or something, but because it doesn't help you to 
think about yourself as a victim. Right. And so instead of that, that I, I started to um, empathize to Václav Havel and to the path that he went through and he actually spent, if I'm right, five, hour, uh, five uh, years in jail and uh, reading him how brilliant he went out of jail and uh, it, it helped me to um, maintain my belief in simple fact that life exists after prison because when you are in prison especially in such difficult circumstances you don't think that anything exists just just this just this help um and you know prison wardens they know it's really good how uh, books can help you that's why they took away everything from me so this magazine i literally had to put somewhere somewhere some, somehow and it was illegal to take these magazines from me uh, because they were really uh, scared that this information start to grow and like like mushrooms, you know, and and it <laughs> did actually it did because even uh, even prisoners from their uh, different units, though it was strictly forbidden, they may end up in solitary confinement for months because of that. They they decided to grab these political magazines and at some point I would come to the room and they they would sit there and discuss like, some recent political reforms and mm -hmm. tell me about stuff that I have no idea about. And uh, it gave me understanding, another really important understanding about the importance of information right. and actually good media resources. Because at the point when the people are not idiots and like, I'm, 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 like why, why, why on earth our government will think that we are idiots? Like where did they find, anyway. They started to change their uh, opinions on politics really fast. So within um, two months, the picture was completely different. And um, so yeah, when we got out of prison, we thought between me, Masha, and Petsy Fertilov that it would be really amazing to start a media outlet and um, provide non-fake news. <laughs> <laughs> and you did that, and uh, Media Zona, and then um, and then uh, Zona Prava is the 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 criminal justice reform charity that you you started. Also, how um, I mean, how how did you um, put that together? What what are your um, is it a lot of volunteers? Do you have um, the normal structures of donations? All this. I mean, how does it how does it work? <laughs> Do you want to tell? <laughs> no. There's, Rita is from MediaZone, and she, she she's here. So I just asked her if she wanted to tell about it, but no, she doesn't. Um, we we started. Um, we just collected all our money from speaking engagements and from from the festivals and like you know when you go to Glastonbury they they want to pay something mm -hmm. and uh, so in, instead of buying a yacht we we decided to just put all this money to uh, Mediazana because we didn't we didn't feel like we own this money anyway because the people gave us voice and they gave us name and it's not really our name it's like it's name. 
it's the voice of all those people who supported us when we were in prison. So with that, it's, it's not something that we own and uh, we have to give it to some, give it somewhere else to amplify this voice and just to keep, mm, keep amplifying the activist of, uh, voice. And um, that's, that's how we run it um, right now too, but we started to take donations from Russian citizens just recently, like one one year ago, for the first time, um, that editor in chief of Media Zone, Sergei Smirnov, he decided that okay, like at, at, at this time, I'll I will allow myself to take money from people who read uh, Media Zone. It's not obligatory; you don't have right. to pay in order mm -hmm. to read. But um, yeah, we, we started to ask for donations, and before that, we were just too coy to do it. <laughs> and uh, Zona Prava. Zona Prava is dedicated to prison reform, and uh, we were investigating if it's possible to make another prison system. And uh, we were um, traveling a lot uh, in different countries and we're investigating right. what's up in prisons here. And what's what really struck me on uh, how ex Stasi prison is um, structured in Germany. And so basically, Stasi is like KGB thing. Right. And people were killed and tortured there 20 something years ago. But right now, you see something that looks more like a student dormitory. Mm -hmm. And uh, people, like prisoners, they have right to walk freely within the prison. And I asked them, um, what is your main complaint about? this prison and they told me that uh, the main complaint is that the prison warden uh, uh, promised to uh, give an access to internet two months ago and he still didn't do it. And I go, well, yeah, that's, that's a really big trouble. <laughs> um, and I knew that it is indeed, um, like what, what they were telling me is true because uh, they were talking with me in Russian. Mm -hmm. and uh, the prison wardens could talk on the, in German, so they were quite honest with me. And uh, also asked them, uh, what if uh, you have an affair with somebody, like prisoners with another prisoner, and uh, will they put you in solitary confinement because of that, and because that what happened with me mm -hmm. when I had an affair. And, uh, and it's extremely prohibited and it's illegal to have same-sex affairs in Russian prison. It's not like that in uh, German prison. You can write an application and they will allow you to leave in one room together, which is not a bad deal. No, it's not. I mean, um, when I look at, at um, Germany, where it is now free, free education through college um, and 30, 35% of um, the country's powered by renewables and, um, and, and there's, there are stipends for artists and yet their economy hasn't collapsed. Um, all the arguments that are made against those things here. Um, I mean, really, when you, when you think uh, uh, that a lot of Americans still, still consider um, you know, Ger Germany uh, in in um, in relation to, you know, Hitler and um, the uh, 
the time, uh, you know, the, that fascism, um, the fact that Germany's been able to evolve so significantly is actually, I think, very inspiring. Um, and, but the will has to be there. People have to, have to push that. And, uh, you know, that's, um, there, there's a concept that you have in, in, in your book that, um, you know, that you, ha you have to have word and deed functioning together. And, uh, you know, you know, it's, uh, in the eighties, I used to love the stencil talk minus action equals zero. Um, I, I do think actually that words make make a difference, but they only make a difference if they open someone's mind to the importance of action with the words. And, um, you know, I'm curious, um, what you think about, um, the best, the best communication strategies um, and the best um, ways to motivate people to, to act. Because I think, you know, the, the, um, the irony of social media is that it's democratized things and given so many people a voice. So free speech is not a problem for a lot of people. But then that leading to action. Um, a lot of people are, are fine with just creating a social media um, image for themselves. It's sort of an, it becomes like the, uh, the, the symbol or the avatar for actual action that never leads to the action, um, which I, you know, I find incredibly problematic. Um, even though, you know, I use social media, I know you, you do too. I assume you followed your Twitter and stuff, but, um, <laughs> but it, but it's, um, I mean, do you have a strategy for helping to motivate people beyond, um, to act rather than just to talk? I just don't retweet. Uh, <laughs> no, I don't retweet words, but I retweet real actions. So that's, that's I think, my strategy. Well, I mean, it, but... But, but we talk, like, I, I'm not against social networks, as you, you're not against, too. But I, I think it's always better when it, comes together and uh, one amplifies another. I, I, I couldn't agree more. I mean, the, the and you know, just people who who only write stuff, they're just not cool, and uh, we're <laughs> not following them, and uh, <laughs> we're following and retweeting and quoting those people who actually combine these two things together. So that's that's the strategy, and like, I don't have anything more sophisticated actually. But but you know, you um, you you talked about um. The concept of, uh, of of double think in in the book, and um, you know, I uh, I think that what's really great um, that you that you discuss in the book is you know the idea that um, when we're living in competition, we're not living in collaboration, and um, I, you know, I. I um, I'm frequently looking at how, yes, I love to do things that um, that people say. I like I like that piece of art. I like this thing, the way you think on this. But I'm trying to make these things in service of of um, understanding that we're we're social creatures and we we need each other. Um, so. Even even my more um, narcissistic impulses, I try to channel constructively. But that uh, that idea that um, uh, that people have that um, 
they want they want peer validation, they want social validation, yet they also um, uh, but they also want to be selfish anytime they want to be selfish. So um, they want to receive and not give. Um, I you know I thought it was great that you really you really pushed that that idea and also some of the um the you, you know your uh, I thought it was very funny that you said um when you were interviewed in the Vogue interview that um it's so bourgeois um <laughs> but I'm joking but um I thought it was a very good interview and good to put you know bourgeois your, to be interviewed with Vogue yeah that, that I mean it's like old old-fashioned things like right now the good people they're disseminated oh i know i know i am yeah i'm I'm fucking with you but um anyway the um you said um you you said they asked you what you know what you do for fun for play and you said that it's a capitalist construct the difference between work and and play and um i mean i i i tend to i i I mean, I'm lucky that I, you know, I, I make pictures for a living. I'm playing all the time. Um, yeah. But it's, um, yeah, you know, talk talk a little bit about how, um, you know, what your strategies are. I, I think art is a big strategy, right? To, you know, get people to consider the benefit of, you work in a collaborative way as an artist, consider collaboration and uh, work and play being completely integrated? Um, yeah, just recently I I was in shrooms in uh, Sagrada Familia and I I was looking at, um, at their uh, guard in uh, Sagrada Familia for three hours and I was thinking about alienation of labor and I started to feel myself like Pretty terrible because I <clears throat> I understood that most of people like how I understood how extremely pri- privileged I am, uh, and it's not it's not news, but you know like when 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 you're in such a beautiful building and you see a person who's just uh, a a function and uh, basically his life is doesn't belong to him and uh, it is it is pretty scary and. Uh, I don't really understand why it is still um, the case because I, like, as far as I understand, artificial intelligence can do a lot of things for us and um, I mean, at least to guard um, the wall. I think it can be done without involvement of human being. So I, I believe that there should be some other reasoning for our governments to involve uh, human labor. Uh, because it's, as far as I know, even like three dozens years uh, years ago, um, sociologists were writing that in our times, like in, in the beginning of 21st century even, people will not have to work for longer than four hours a day, but they still work for over than eight hours um, a day, which is maybe it is done exactly for not allowing us to um, collaborate more and to be part of stronger communities. Um, how do you work with your narcissistic impulses? Because <laughs> I, I, feel, I feel myself like as everybody I think in our society, I feel myself extremely guilty with these impulses. It's just like it's we are bombarded by 
this wish to think about yourself all the time. And you know, I, I know this is a crazy meme, that this Bernie Sanders V phone, but I, I, I would definitely use V phone if uh, I would be able to. What about you? <coughs> well, um, I wanna, uh, I, I guess I wanna um, find a way to um, make the narcissism secondary, not primary. So if I make something I'm proud of that people connect to, they go, yeah, hey, I like that. And then I go, yeah, that was all me. Um, so I get, to I get to be a little bit narcissistic about it, but, um, but without it maybe being selfish, totally selfish. I mean, there's a, I think everyone wants to feel good about, um, you know, stand behind who they are. And, and that can... That can border on narcissism. Um, but we also, I mean, we, we live in a, uh, cultures where um, how, how we look, um, our social standing, um, the things we consume, they, you know, we're defined by all of that. And, um, you know, you, you, you talk in the book about um, how much better things would be if there were more creators um, and not everyone define themselves through through what they consume. Um, but I think a lot of people are are they're fearful to create. So because when you create, you're actually you're taking a risk that people will not like it. And you know, you know, uh, does everyone love your music? I didn't like my music. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, you know, I'm um, I've been I've been uh, you know call, called uh, um, I. I you know, a, a, a plagiarist derivative, uh, unqualified to talk on the topics I talk about. You know, you you name it. Every every possible strategy to di to dismiss me. And um, but I think I you know that frequently reveals the lack of imagination and the fearfulness of the person saying it. So I, I you know I tend to uh, every now and then somebody says something really smart where I'm like fuck they got me. But um, it's but usually I think it's to justify their own fear and complacency. Um, and I mean, you, you you talk about that, but the um, the the being um, having the courage to just express yourself is not as common um, as 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 it ought to be. I mean, um, rage about very various things, it, I guess, is is common, and I, I don't. That's not the kind of expression I mean. I mean creative expression, but um, but anyway, I mean, you know, I. Uh, I wanted to mention actually that I was just in Moscow for the first time, and um, it sucked badly that I wasn't in Moscow at the time. <laughs> well, um, uh, you know, you might have been able to guide me through some of the things. Like I, you know, I was doing a mural on an oligarch's mall, um, you know, and I don't know what you think about that. Where was it? Uh, it's the Atrium. Do you know that mall? Um, mm -hmm. <laughs> but I, but I did a portrait of Vladimir Mayakovsky, your, your high school crush that you oh, mentioned. Wow. And, I, and it's, it's insane. I hadn't read her book, but she, she talks about, um, Berthold Brecht and his quote, art is not a mirror to reflect society, but a hammer with which to shape it, which was one of Mayakovsky's favorite quotes. So I did a portrait of Mayakovsky with that Brecht quote, and she talks about both of them in the book. Um, it's kind of trippy, but, um, but, you know, I think that everything requires um, a willingness to understand that you could be 
you could be perceived as contradicting yourself or as a hypocrite, hypocrite pretty much anywhere you try to navigate. And especially because I wasn't familiar enough with Moscow. Um, was that a... Uh, was that just this thing, or was that like, okay, time's up, guys? Yeah, it's, it's the start of punk concert. Uh, but, um, <laughs> but the, um, you know, one of the things... Um, no, I, I think it's cool that you made this art for Conetrium. Like, I, I, I'm, I remember when um, it was time of Olympic Games in uh, Moscow, and lots of my friends from different parts of the world are asking me if they should go to Moscow, they, they should go to Sochi, or they should not. And uh, my, my answer is always proactive. Like, if you can come and still make yourself heard without compromising what you were about to say. Like, if you know, if you would be about to go to Atrium and make a picture, and then this Russian oligarch would come to you and say, like, look, <laughs> Shepard, <laughs> you understand. Yeah. <laughs> well, you know, the yeah. I I want to um just finish this this one this one uh thing because I I I um I don't know how many of you have spent spent time in Russia. That was my first time in Russia. One of the things that I was struck by was how um in you know uh, uh, ridiculous a lot of the us propaganda is about about russia that you know no one no one smiles everyone's wearing a, a gray work smock there's brutalist architecture everywhere everyone has their head down it's a r ridiculous it's uh, it's a moscow's a beautiful city incredible architecture I met a lot of great people but one thing i did realize um, i did a i did a large museum show for uh, almost 400 pieces of work a lot of it's about um, abuse of authority, en environmental destruction, the need for campaign finance reform, a lot of the issues you talk about in your book. And yet, still, the audience that was there praising my work also asked me, hey, you did the Hope poster for Obama. Would you ever do a poster for, for Putin? These are people who double, double think once again. They can, they can look at, um, at my work, understand that my work is, you know, is, um, about promoting analysis, dissent, um, justice, and yet still they can be Putin supporters. And when I asked them, because I tried to be very, um, very delicate and diplomatic, I said, well, you know, yeah, what, uh, so you like Putin? And said, oh yeah, things were way worse before, before Putin was president. Um, you know, there was so much corruption and so, and there's a good bit of corruption still, right? Um, and so much, uh, it was so dangerous, everything was run by gangsters. But, you know, I I was uh, just curious what your um, you know what your feeling is about why. And I know that you you say in the book that a lot of Russians are not Putin supporters because but they are, don't want to say it because they're you know, fear of reprisal, right? But I mean, for the ones that are Putin supporters, where do you think that's coming from? Uh, yeah, indeed, um, Putin created this story about um, terrible 90s, and he, he refers a lot to, to that. And uh, um, partly 
It is true, but we didn't have real democracy. We had a shock economy. We had uh, crazy American Chicago boys coming to Russia and telling Russians what to do. And uh, basically, um, this dear Chicago boys came to my country and they said, like, oh, <laughs> you need to lose all your money to start democracy. And uh, that's what they done. So uh, for a lot of Russians uh, still there is a strong connection between the notion of democracy and the times when they lost everything what they got in the Soviet Union. And uh, Putin was pretty fortunate when he came to his first term and uh, their uh, oil and gas prices were uh, skyrocketing. It's not He's not that fortunate right now because these prices are falling down, so he he's having troubles, and that's why he had to um, make... Um, the retirement age higher, so he's he's taking um, um, a number of unpopular reforms. But in the beginning of his term, um, he didn't mention that it happened mostly because of uh, just oil and gas prices. But um, he was like, "Yeah, just just because I'm 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 so cool." Um, and so yes, of course, if you are the head of the country for 18 years, you're creating this story. And right. there is no big, um, there is no big space for uh, critical thinking because our um, independent press is not influential uh, enough because it's just designed not to be influential. Well, it's I just mean, a basically come on. like media. It's up to you. Right. Uh, <laughs> yes. Okay. You're just not single-handedly no solving the problem, Nadia. It's one um, million unique visitors a month. Media Zona has now, so we're moving step by step. Yeah, it's not, it's not that bad for um, media outlet that no, was I, started I, by punks. By punks, I I didn't believe myself that we will do something because that was like, what we can like what we can do in our lives is just to make um, terribly terrible music and illegal concert. Like how could we <laughs> think on earth that we can make a media outlet? But <laughs> we somehow made it, and um, it is a really big thing about for me it's a big achievement uh not just for me but for i mean think about it <laughs> if you if you're just a little bit smarter than just a bunch of punks and if you have more organizational skills how much can you achieve and that was the, that was the idea behind a lot of our actions, including the storming of the White House, when we decided to just project skull and bones on the uh, White House of uh, Russian Federation, Russian White, um, yeah, Russian Parliament. Giant skull and bones, like 40 meters wide and 40 meters high. And uh, we climbed over the fence, six meter fence, and uh, we ran on the territory and just disappeared into the night. And they couldn't catch us. And so I, the idea was to show that actually our parliament and the power itself is much more vulnerable than they like to think they are. So coming back to your question, um, I think this story about Putin as a savior of Russia is pretty popular, but like, honestly, I don't think a lot. Of, like, I, I don't meet a lot of people who really support Putin, because if you just right. 
walk in Moscow and meet random people, like most of them, they would bitch about Putin. But the thing is that they don't have this set of tools that can help them to change the power. Like we, we never had the chance to learn how democratic institutions can work. We never had this democratic institution. So the only one thing that we know that at some point when we will be really fed up with everything, we'll just go to the main square of the city and scream really loudly and hope that our power will be scared of us. But we don't really know a thing about this, you know, civil society stuff, blah, blah, like how it works. We, we don't know it. But well, that, yeah. that would be should improve. Uh, I mean, I, th I think that the... Uh you know, uh, from everything that you've experienced um, with the, you know, the suppression of voices of dissent is that, you know, when you, when you do have the power to participate like we do here, um, it, even though the system is rigged for very powerful rich people, if, um, you know, if there were full voter participation, things would look very different because the people who are controlling each branch of government right now um, don't reflect the values and, uh, and and you know and the policy desires of the majority of the American public. So, yeah, once again, vote. But uh, yeah, let's take take some questions. Thank you so much. Thank you. Okay, so for all those who couldn't hear, the question is, what is the level of Russian consciousness about the manipulation of the 2016 election? Is that a fair phrase? Is the question, what do Russian people think about uh, uh, Russian interference in the... Yeah. Mm. I would, I would say Russian people don't really, like, they're so fed up hearing about other uh, countries' uh, affairs. So they, they, they want somebody to think about, like, what they, what they're living, like, how do they live? They, they don't want to think about their salaries and stuff like that. But they, they're um, on the TV, they're all the time hear this information about what's going on in the United States, what's going on in Syria. And uh, I think for just a normal Russian people, I don't know, like for, for one half of them, it's just some crazy but interesting movie that is not really connected to their reality anyhow. And for other people, it's just nothing because they're not connected to it and they, they just think that it's just crazy propaganda. They don't want to have anything to do with it. So I don't think that the, there is a space for most of the Russian people to really think about Trump and uh, Putin's interference in American politics. Down, 
get to propel yourself in, in what you do in order to remain like a deep inspiration? I escaped from my mom when I was 16 years old and she was the first person who told me that I, I shouldn't be that radical. And then later, I think when you don't have to live with your parents, it's a little bit easier because you just don't talk with them. If you don't want to listen to them, then. <laughs> I I'm when I was 14 years old, I, I decided for myself that I don't want to live a um, life that is pre-designed for me by anybody. Because I thought that the, there are so many people around, like millions of people around, and that they're all, they, and, and you so, you somehow have to have to define, de design for yourself a unique life, so you shouldn't hear to anybody's advices and to just put yourself in different contexts. And so maybe in the end of the story, you will be able to find some sort of truth after you will uh, learn about so many different contexts. So I'm, I'm, I'm just jumping from one country to another, from one sort of activity to another. And um, I, just, I just taught myself pretty early not to listen to those people who are telling me that it's not appropriate to mix this stuff. Because that's the whole thing for me. I want to mix stuff because I think that's the way to find something unique. So if I would just stay in my hometown and uh, I would be defined by my mother and maybe, I don't know, maybe, maybe by my university and that's it. And now I'm defined by so many influences and people, you know, including Shepard. <laughs> I wish. Um, anyway, we are, we are like... Uh, siblings from different continents though, like reading her book, I was like, shit, this is all stuff that I think, but she's just articulated it a lot better. Um, not as a native English speaker either, but anyway. Um, <laughs> I don't like Hillary Clinton. I um I think it was really bad choice of Democratic Party. I don't I didn't really understand how all those really clever and educated people could could make such a terrible choice. And after that actually, after that choice, I started to feel better about me not having a high education because I was I was put in prison like in the end of my high education, so I don't have diploma or something like like that, like you no know, official paper. And uh, I always thought about this Ivy League people, like oh, they they should be some like the wonderful creatures from different planet. They can talk in five languages, and I cannot talk even on one properly. And I, and then after that, I just like you know, was like, whoa, if they could be such an idiot. <laughs> Then, then I'm totally fine. Uh, I think Putin definitely interfered in American elections because that's that's what he's designed for, and um, it's not it's not for America is not unique in his 
um, you know, line of countries where he interfered, like Ukraine and Montenegro and uh, France and Marine Le Pen. But um, I don't think, honestly, that Putin is the reason why Trump is the president of United States. And uh, Hillary Clinton was not the brightest candidate. candidate. And... Um, I mean, but but I, I don't Democratic think Party is like it. It went so liberal. It went so cent central, right? It's not. It's not for the workers. It's not for the leftist people anymore. So people who are against the system, they they didn't know what to do, and they voted for Trump, and it just makes perfect sense. Well, I I don't think it makes perfect sense, but I do I do think that um, <laughs> maybe. I mean, clearly, the American public is not um, is not choosing the leaders based on the values I think are important in leadership. I mean, maybe Hillary wasn't wasn't stupid enough. I mean, maybe she didn't say enough dumb things. Um, I, I mean, I do think that the dissatisfaction with the two party system um, on in both you know both parties have have I think failed to stop the widening of, um, you know, of, of wage stagnation and, and wealth inequality. Um, you know, all the gains in the economy have gone to the top, usually less than 1% for the last 35 years. But, um, but I, I, you know, I, I, wasn't a, uh, I wasn't a Hillary supporter either. But um, I think that the big factor with Trump is, um, you know, that he, uh, he uh, he's a celebrity who appealed to people on a very primitive level, and um, and I don't I'm not sure how we if that's going to be the new standard. I don't even know how we recover really. But can we all be civilized? Can we appreciate human dignity? Um, can we appreciate facts, knowledge? I mean, it seems like really basic stuff to me. But um, but I mean, I think you're you're uh, Hillary was not utilizing her Ivy League education. In, um, in a lot of aspects of that, because that's not the currency that Americans value. Um, but anyway, yeah. As far as I know, people like Hillary or people who are surrounding Hillary, they still somehow refer to some part of American society as white trash. And it was like for me, whoa, that could really, how can, how can you think about being a president if you do th things like that? Well, yeah, I mean, that was, um, that was on both sides. I mean, there's a lot of mudslinging happening, but... Um, no, I'm not saying that Trump, like, I, uh, Trump, I don't even want to discuss Trump, because it's like... <laughs> no, but I agree. Everything is understandable. In the, in the book, she talks about Trump being a, a symptom of deeper problems, and, I mean, I, I agree with that completely. We, you know, there's, uh, it's, it's far too much to discuss in, in the short amount of time we have before you have to start signing books, but, um, but yeah. Yeah, you. Um, yeah, I wanted to ask you, um, since there is a lot of awareness in Russia about climate change. No. Because you did mention it in your first started talk. I mean, you're young. 
you think about it a lot? Is it something that you like that you feel that the Russian people um, hopefully might wake up? <laughs> I mean, we're trying to do it here. I don't know how well we're doing it, but anyway. It's an amazing question. Um, yeah, but uh, it is symptomatically. I remember when I came to climate change demonstration in New York for the first time, it was, I think, 2014, I was thinking about myself as a really progressive person and blah, blah, and stuff, like, you know, that. But um, I remember being like, why do they care that much about climate change when there are you no know, people are being tortured like what the fuck is going on? and then I started to read deeper about it because it and it's symptomatic because like it shows like how Russian activists like the, the average Russian activist is far from uh, thinking about climate change surely we do have like anti-fascist groups and uh, um, environmental groups but there are super small and um, if you think about um, an average anti-Kremlin activist oh I would say like 70% of them would probably think that climate change is not real or they never really thought about climate change I remember after um, staying in Los Angeles for almost eight months in a row definitely at that, and after after that time, I learned everything about climate change, obviously. So I came to Russia, and I'm like, and <laughs> and I, I came to the ECHO of Moscow, and I was interviewed by people who I know for for a long time, and uh, we started to talk about Bernie Sanders, and they're like, yeah, but he's just like terrible socialist. I'm like, what? <laughs> and and then and I started like, yeah, but you don't understand that the climate change and like. Do you believe in this mythology about climate change? Like, are you that stupid? It's it's just a myth to stop our great progress. I'm like, whoa, <laughs> guys, you're you're at the you're claiming that you're the most progressive radio station in Russia. <laughs> and I was like, should I punch them in the face right now, or should I do it a little bit later? And I. <laughs> I didn't, and it's a good thing that I didn't because yeah, that that's the thing we should respect each other even if we we don't agree on some sort of stuff. But it it was really shocking. But yeah, I think we were in a little bit different position in nineties. If I, because I, I remember when I was a kid, I was reading some Greenpeace literature. But then when Putin came to power, it it all disappeared some, somehow. But I know you're. I know you're a fan of Naomi Klein. Have you Have you read This Changes Everything, her book, um, her book, uh, Climate Change versus Capitalism? I mean, I, I think that that's that's a very very compelling book in terms of um, the research, both about climate, you know, climate science, but also how um, wired capitalism is to increase consumption and and resist anything that would um, harm the bottom line uh, when we're on a planet with growing population and dwindling resources so uh, you know um, that was that was a real wake-up book for me I mean I already was doing a lot of stuff around um, environmental concerns but but that's the I think that's one of the best books about it so yeah if you if you like Naomi Klein check it out. <laughs> 
Um, you pick the next person. I'm going to be hated for excluding anyone, so I'll let you take that on. How, how, how you're supposed to do it? Do you know how to do it? That become, can you help? And you're the next. <laughs> Like where? <laughs> Do you have a house for me? <laughs> I don't mind having a vacation house in LA, but... <laughs> the, um, yeah, you, you probably talk about um, people who... Uh, Two activists from uh, Pussy Riot who went to Sweden, and they they seek for asylum in Sweden. Yeah, and uh, <clears throat> I just um, met another activist from the same region. It's like this terrible politically southern region, Kuban, um, from Sochi. Like everybody's just trying to skip from Sochi as fast as they can. And I, I met another Pusarite activist. Uh, he's uh, right now a refugee in Madrid. Because after Sochi Olympic Games, when we were beaten by Cossacks, he, he's from Sochi and he stayed in, in Sochi and he was uh, intimidated. He had been told that he will be put in prison and nobody will care about you because everybody will care about them because they're known. And it's not true because, like, you know, we, will, we would make a big political campaign to support him, so he will become known <laughs> as well. And <clears throat> but he decided to immigrate. Um, why do I decide? I don't know. It's not. It's not really a rational choice. It's. It is an irrational choice of an artist. I just feel like it's but important if, for my I, I think artistic. I, I don't think you're giving yourself like, enough credit. I mean, I think that it's. Um, the determination not to succumb to the very forces you've been protesting the whole time is, you know, it's meaningful. It's very meaningful to do that. Um, so, you know, your, your activism began in Russia and you, um, and, you know, you have a commitment to it. So don't try to talk about <laughs> vacation houses in L.A. It's... It's a little more meaningful than that, but uh, but also, I mean, you it's can... like it's not meaningful. Like seriously, like I I, I like vacations. Like you know, so today I was lying lying in the sun and I was swimming in the pool and now thinking like I should do it because I never know when <laughs> will when the next prison term will happen or you know then the next hospital or something. And uh, I remember I was reading. And I will be killed right now for this reference. I was reading Eduard Limonov, and he's pretty bad now politically, but um, he's an amazing writer anyway. So I remember when I was far from my prison, I was reading him, and uh, he served 
two years in prison at the time. So every every Russian artist or writer they have to serve some time in prison. So and I I remember reading him when I was like 17 years old, and uh, he wrote like after prison I started to love life even more, and. Um, I was saying, I remember thinking, like making conspects and putting them some somewhere in my memory uh, form. Uh, I decided that if I will go to prison and come back, I will start to love, li enjoy life much more. So that that it happened actually. So I like Calais, but it's not like what I what 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 would I be here like. Like why? Why? <laughs> why would it even exist? <laughs> what? Well, I mean the, the um the plain Hollywood movie. <laughs> like we, we got to wrap this up, but the the um y you know your your knowledge of international politics um you know it's it's pretty it's pr it's pretty impressive. I, I the I think that you were talking about different contexts. The the benefit of travel is realizing um that there are a lot of the same yeah. human qualities in different places and a lot of the same a lot of the same struggles the structures might be different but you know a lot of it i think it creates a lot of a lot of empathy for uh, for other human beings when you consider yourself a world citizen not you know a, a, you know a nationalist from your n n native country so um you know your your uh, your commitment to russia i think is uh, is great but also your your sort of general awareness of what's going on in other places. That's a lot of people never, they can be spoon fed whatever powerful people want them to accept because they don't have any perspective. So got perspective at least. We somehow need right to give, give these people money in order to allow them to travel because the, the, the biggest problem for most of the Russians who never Traveled abroad, and they will never travel abroad in their lifetime because they just don't. They just can't afford themselves to do it. That's why it's that easy for Putin to spoon fed them with this all this anti-Western propaganda. Should we just make a fundraiser for uh, every Russian to travel to America? <laughs> <laughs> I, I don't know, recently I was listening to Ghost Main, which is <laughs> like, you know, this this rapper guy who is writing about death and, uh, you know, um, um, I don't know, s Satan and... Uh, <laughs> I don't know, I just, I, um, but it's still, it's really joyful to me. Cause I, I think art, maybe art is the, the answer. Because for me, being joyful is not necessarily to you know, listen to stuff about birds and things. Yeah. 
Yeah, so I I think art, yeah. And I, I remember I was when I was a kid, yeah, and I was growing up in this really interesting place where I didn't have um, access. I didn't. I, I wasn't able to go to the street and just walk because you you can be at home or you can be at school, and that that's it. You you don't have other cho choices. So I I was making friends with the books and my favorite characters from from the books. So I think art was my door to do the joy from the very beginning, <laughs> and in prison too. <laughs> Oh, we are planning something in November. Yeah, we were planning to release some stuff in November, and then uh, after that, we will just close ourselves in, in our Russian bunker. Uh, and uh, we were going to record more stuff, but I think it will be all just in Russian, so you will have to learn Russian in order to understand it. <laughs> Thank you. Thanks, y'all. You've been listening to the Skylight Books author reading series. Don't forget, you can listen to this and all of our other great podcasts at skylightbooks.com. Thanks again for stopping by, and we hope to see you soon.